territory. Oh, what's Cincinnati's own Stonehenge? That is building. Uh, so with the crematorium, it has all these rumors, but the stones came from the Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce building that burned down in 1911. Okay. That's, oh, how that that's all... a great segue. So they yeah. okay. took the remainder and architect students wanted to keep it. And so they made a monument because of this architect was a big deal yourself. back then. Ready? All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Presents Hometown Haunts. I am your host, Kat Cloco, and with me in the shadows tonight are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. Just so you know, you can follow us on Twitter at SinCabinetCurio and Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And if you have your own hometown haunt, urban legend, creepy cryptid, or other fascinating little history bit, to share with us, you can send them to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. And I personally manage that. So I'd be reading all your wonderful submissions. Also, we're an official podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please rate and review us so other spooky lovers like you can find us out there in the big wide world. So... This is our first ever Cincinnati Paranormal Potluck episode, where all of us are bringing in spooky stories from around the region to share with one another. So, and before we get started with all of that, we have Christina's weird thing she found this Easter holiday. <laughs> well, you know, um, it, it seems like in social media, people are always like showing like creepy pictures of, of kids with easter bunny um i don't yeah. know have, have you taken uh side to see the easter bunny i have not i mean you know i could say i mean you know it, it is it is very creepy maybe somebody should redesign it to be an attractive furry design or something like but no most of the <laughs> most of the easter bunnies are pretty terrifying um and um the they need reworking from like Disney Imagineers, but even yes, the Imagineers yes. don't get it right all the time. That yeah. So history so, of yeah. So I was reading, and of course it's 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 comes from European. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of those old European tales. Um, I mean, we could probably get into. I mean, a lot of these anthropomorphs and stuff tend to be. Um, ubiquitous through a lot of cultures don't they like different animals you know especially if you think of even uh norse mythology where you have loki turning himself into uh did he turn himself into a horse is that what i don't know about loki norse mythology is unfortunately one of my weak spots oh okay um but zeus turned himself into horses and swans and yeah there's a lot of, of different things. things like this so um it says and this i uh, this is from uh, bustle.com and um, it says that other countries have uh, different animals who are responsible for delivering eggs. Swiss children have their eggs delivered by a cuckoo, which is kind of a cool idea. Um, and Germans wake up to the work of a fox and they think that the Easter bunny might be, uh, even though it was very popular in Germany, might come from the tradition of the Osterhaus or Osterhaus, the egg laying hare. Um, and that is like an old, uh, and, and uh, isn't that where the name Easter comes from? E-O-S-T-R-E. 
um, it's an ancient German goddess who apparently saved a freezing bird by turning it into a rabbit that could lay eggs. And so that's the old myth. Um, and it's so the story is a the first reference of the Easter bunny comes from a 1572 German text. So, you know, it's interesting how long some of these traditions are. We don't know why we, you know, they, they kind of survive in bits and pieces without any context. Um, but it's possibly a tradition that was brought over for, with immigrants that came here. And, you know, it seems like nowadays myths kind of get, I, I, what would you say, filled out by, say, popular marketing and mass marketing oh, yeah. and that sort of thing and that's yeah. how you end up with a easter bunny in every store um if you've ever worked at a marketing agency everything is divided up into seasons and perhaps that's how these things get ensconced out of context into like mm -hmm. when you think about christmas how people complain about like as soon as christmas is over you see valentine's day stuff i mean valentine's day isn't that important of holiday but that's something sometime when they feel like they can make people buy candy and flowers and stuff and, mm -hmm. and so everything's kind of segue you know segmented into these concepts mm -hmm. so from ancient german myth well maybe not ancient 1572 middle-aged german myth to uh marketing middle-aged german myth yeah i don't know I don't it's know. not quite so old it still has a spring in its step yeah yeah i mean 1572 is is you know what is that that's kind of around renaissance-ish times yeah um, i'm sure it's older than that i mean you know yeah. one thing that they're finding out is that many tales are way older than they ever thought um you know so who knows but but it is one of the weirder things and you know a lot of the stuff even predates christianity it's like worshiping other uh deities and um, you know, before everything was sort of unified into, you know, today's more, you know, Christian themes, but other ones too. Um, I mean, that, that's the thing that's kind of interesting is that so many uh, local myths end up getting tied into like when missionaries would come and still people secretly would do like their own tradition still and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, this kind of yeah. is a relation to that. Yeah, I know recently in the Wiccan groups, we just had the worm moon. So it's just, uh, yeah, you, you got a lot of stuff happening right now. Yes, yes. Actually, I forgot to add this, but to our outline. So this is surprising Christina and Jen for our listeners. Happy Dingus Day. Ooh, so tell us about Dingus Day. Yes, please oh. do. <laughs> All right. So I am a transplant to Cincinnati and I grew up in South Bend, Indiana slash Mishawaka, Indiana, which is one of the epicenters of the Polish tradition of Dingus Day. Mm. And uh, this Dingus Day is today, Monday, which is when we record. And so happy Dingus Day to all of my fellow friends from the wonderful cities of South Bend, Indiana, Elizabeth, New Jersey, Bristol, Connecticut. And also we cannot forget Buffalo, Buffalo, <laughs> Buffalo, New York, which is the reigning champion. They are the epicenter of Dingus Day in the United States. So basically what it is, is a post-Lenten holiday. It is always celebrated the Monday after Easter. 
and um basically it's when you just eat it's just easter part two you just eat specifically you eat dingus day sausages if you're from south bend indiana and uh, those are a special spice blend of sausages they generally only make them this time of year we keep them frozen in our freezer it's the only time i will eat pork product is when it is dingus day traditionally on this day on monday um young boys who aren't married will splash girls with water and on tuesday the day after um women will return the favor by oh sorry on mondays boys will sprinkle the girls with water and tap them with pussy willows on easter tuesday women will return the favor um i will be honest i have never seen that happen we just party and drink this just sounds like something out of midsummer doesn't it yes yeah, it does kind of. <laughs> so willows, um, water yeah you know what dingusday.com which is sponsored by the city of buffalo new york says why pussy willows pussy willows play a major part in buffalo's dingus day celebrations as men and women flirt with playful taps branches of the plant are used as pussy willow as the pussy willow is one of the first budding plants of spring it's also kind of linked to the easter bunny being a fertility thing so uh anyway I would like to say happy, happy Dingus Day to all my friends. Where where does the name Dingus come from? Um, I believe it's a saint. The saint. Okay. It's Saint Dingus. Because I've heard <laughs> Dingus people being called a Dingus. Yeah. So, so I, I'm a little, like, I have no idea where that comes from. So now I'm really curious. I, I looked it up. So Smingus Dingus is a Roman Catholic celebration held on, oh, that's today, uh, Easter Monday, across and across. Huh, wow, I cannot read things today. This is great for a potluck. Um, <laughs> it's celebrated on Easter Monday across Central Europe and parts of the United States. Um, the tradition is widely associated with Poland and observed by Polish dysphoria communities. Hi there, South Bend, Indiana, particularly among <laughs> Polish Americans who call it Dingus Day uh let's see origins <sighs> um uh, the celebration has been traced back to the 14th century by but may have happened earlier pre-christian origins involved the celebration of the march equinox the origins of the world word dingus are obscure <laughs> as it may come from the german dingeyer the eggs that are owed or dingus or ransom the occurrence of the celebration across western Slavic and lechit oh my gosh lechitic nations include hungary um including hungary suggests a common origin in pagan mythology so there you go it's another okay. pagan fraternity fraternity holiday <laughs> this is just the greatest i swear i have had nothing to drink today <laughs> water and coffee and I am just slipping and sliding all over the English language. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, listeners. So yes, Dingus Day. Oh, well, that's Go really get yourself a dingus. Oh, happy Dingus Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we know something to celebrate right after Easter. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. There, I mean, there's all these different... Uh, oh, sorry. What were you going to say? I was just going to say it. Kind of, it's kind of like Boxing Day a little bit. Yeah, well, it kind of is. 
there's all these different like uh if you start if you look at like there's the catholic saint days and then there's the greek orthodox church which are so they have other saints that they celebrate and like have all these different you know uh ways of celebrating because it, it, yeah. it, again it has like that midsummer kind of thing where it's like it really does it like um, feels like they might sacrifice something afterwards or something uh-huh yeah uh-huh. it's do old people um, jump off a cliff afterwards or no you just you drink it's i i knew that mm. there was something to do with pussy willows but honestly the people that actually participate at home this is what we do we get a bunch of dingus day sausages from the local martins we which is the supermarket chain there it's not even a chain it's a local thing anyway um and then we get a bunch of kluski noodles which are really thick i like flour noodles, noodles yeah that are boiled in chicken broth i can barely find them around here but once in a while i can and then there's going to be some kind of sauerkraut or soured cabbage of some sort and then there's beer there is so much beer like you're insane if you bring a salad to one of these things because (laughs) unless it's a noodle salad and then somebody may peck at it and then usually it's just leftovers from easter so you have leftover ham and leftover cake and all sorts of stuff and um you just it's just another reason to have a big big meal and after lent basically so Mm. um Hmm. and like i said um south bend is one of the epicenters of dingus day there is some participation in chicago but it's mostly south bend and buffalo new york are the two big places Mm -hmm. then i think also um a little bit new jersey cleveland which is where my family's from does a small one which is why we talk about the melon heads tonight Hmm. cool yeah all right fascinating yeah and now you know about a random food holiday yeah (laughs) well what you you kick off lent with mardi gras and then you end you end easter with dingus day well like cincinnati has one polish thing and that's the punchki the really filled jelly donuts that you can get Mm -hmm. and there's one little bakery that's on actually in indiana that makes authentic putski so um but i've seen them in kroger and when you look at them it looks like it says patsky on the label but it's pronounced punchki so it goes and they'll make a version of it for oktoberfest buskin Mm -hmm. actually makes them so there's going to be the uh donut that is has heavy cream in it and then they put the cream or, puff, it, or oh, custard okay. and mm-hmm. then all that that's a that's a version of a bunchki so mm-hmm. um and, you, and mm-hmm. oh my god they're huge they're your entire caloric intake is in one of them yeah now now i'm hungry thanks I know, sorry right? <laughs> i did eat dinner <laughs> yeah so did i but right. i'm kind of drooling i know now i now Memories. i want I love, I love pastries yeah there's nothing <laughs> yeah. better than it so, so I guess for the potluck, um, uh, Jen, you're going to tell us about the Buffalo Ridge Crematorium. Yes. So this this is interesting because um, I actually Jeff and I have talked so many Jeff Cease, who I work with at the Enquirer. He's the archivist there. He knows every pretty much all Cincinnati history, and I distinctly remember him telling me about this one day in my office years ago. So it's 
this place that has all this lore around it with satanic rituals and that it was a crematorium where they didn't burn the bodies. They just left them out there in the fields to rot and surrounding in the surrounding area on Buffalo Ridge Road. When you drive down it, you see a dog with glowing green eyes. You see a headless bride. You see all the the typical kind of urban legend craziness, right? But in truth, this place has never been a crematorium. It was, it originally started as they were trying to build a observatory there and the stones, and then they, they didn't finish it because they ran off, out of funding as you know, it happens with everything. So, um, but the stones for this place came from the Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce, the original that burnt down, it burned down in 1911. So people didn't want to get rid of the granite that was used to build, to build it because it was a very particular granite. And so they carted some of it up there and then it, they ran out of funding and it, for whatever reason, it just stayed there for years. And if you go to creepycincinnati.com, you can see photos and there's history of it there and I read it the whole thing and then he I think he went back in 2014 and he said that it was filled in so you can't see the structure anymore because it was this really cool half moon curve like you could see where it could be an observatory but you could you could also see I mean if you'd stumbled across that in the woods you'd be like what what went on here it's creepy like it was like this curved deep in inlet in the ground and it had all these, these stone walls anyway i digress so but what is also interesting is that a few people did die in that fire in 1911 so if there's any residuals left over in the stones from that that could have been carried over right um, but also if you want to see some of the stones that were used in the building of the Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce, some architect students at University of Cincinnati decided to um, save them. And they really respected the architect, H.H. H. Richardson, I think is who he was. And uh, let me just say, yeah, H.H. So. H. H. Richardson, he was he built the Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce and um, he did a lot of really cool stuff. So they held this huge contest. The winner designed what is there now. And there's how, however many, it's in Burnett Woods. And if you go there, there's a, a big sculpture. And in the middle, there's a big, upright vertical stone and down it you can see Cincinnati chamber and it's just a really cool it's this really cool pink stone it has the curvatures and everything that were carved into it that make all of our old buildings look so cool so as far as I know there's nothing happening in Burnett Woods from the stones like if any if any hauntings or anything have been reported there I like but, how you added it. It's like, it's not from the stones. The hauntings aren't from the stones. They could be. I mean, they could or they could not be. 
the thing is what I, I find it fascinating is that how did this lore get started that it was a crematorium and it, satanic rituals happened there? I mean, did somebody go there, find it one day and go, go back to town and say, just made up this story? Because I, really I think is, a lot of it is just made up over booze. Yeah. Well, and from what I understand, I did watch a video on YouTube of um, these two girls <laughs> freaking themselves out driving down Buffalo Ridge. Because it is a very steep and curvy road, from what I understand. Okay. They were driving down at night to see if they could see anything, and they didn't. And well, But I think people have, have had bad car wrecks there and probably have died on the road. But um, if you're interested, it is in Hamilton County, uh, Miami Township in Hamilton County. And it's near the... I can't remember the name of the forest. Uh, 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 great. It's bordered by Great Parks Mitchell Memorial Forest. Okay. And I've never heard of that forest, even though I lived in Cincinnati for over 20 years. And I did find an article in the Enquirer in 1988 that said it, it had all these plans for it to turn it into, um, I'm probably thinking more along, it would turn into something like Winton Woods where, you know, there were horse horseback oh, riding yeah. and, and I just don't think those, I, to be honest, I didn't go any deeper than that, but I don't think it came, came to that. Cause I don't, I've never heard like all my years working at the Enquirer, I've never read an event happening out there. Like if yeah. there was horse riding or any, anything like that. So, so it's in Cleves, Ohio, which is funny because I always thought Buffalo Ridge was in northern kentucky i don't know why but um yeah it's in cleves and it has a five-star review on google maps oh okay so i'm gonna read from (laughs) why this This is five out of five stars from 10 months ago and it writes drywall jackson writes thanks burned them great all right Oh, thank you, random person on the internet for that little laugh. Yeah, burned umbrella. The only thing I can think of is like a sky burial would be the only use of those. Like just laying out the bodies because I've seen photos of what it used to look like. And like a sky burial? Like, yeah. I I I don't get where they get the idea of crematorium at all, but. I, no clue. I mean, I don't even think there wasn't a furnace there. Like I can understand if you could find something that resembled a furnace or something, but um, I think it was filled in by Hamilton County parks because of all the issues and problems they were having probably with people going out there. Oh yeah. It's super Um, dangerous. Cause it, I'm looking up the old photos from creepy Cincinnati and mm -hmm. it almost looks more like, let's see one two three four five six seven almost looks like seven stables for uh-huh. horses or cows and mm-hmm. then they're attached to this crescent moon bit but w- what it really is is just the basement of what would right. have been this observatory yeah but 
Yeah, and the observatory looks very similar to the one that is in uh, Mount Lookout. So this has two extra. Instead of two buildings, it would be all connected. Mm -hmm. Here's one of the urban legends. I found this on Reddit. Um, in the early part of the century, uh, I'm assuming the 20th century, uh, a young woman was trying on her wedding dress in anticipation of her upcoming ceremony. An unknown attacker entered her house and shot and killed her, then decapitated her. Her head was never recovered, and on certain moonless nights, her ghostly body wearing the wedding dress walks the road looking for her head. Sound like That's Pearl Bryan? Like excessive. That kind of sounds like Pearl Bryan. And yeah. also a lot of vanishing hitchhiker motifs. With, yeah. It has the woman in white mm -hmm. and a vanishing hitchhiker and dead bride motif, all wrapped into one delightful story. Yeah, but there's a whole bunch of links that we can put in the show notes and uh, i just look into it it's they're fun reads and now i kind of want to go drive down the road and see i mean I'm, yeah and see what will happen or visit the forest or because i've never Sounds been out really there cool. i mean i remember yeah. uh jeff talking about that in regard because we did talk about the burnett woods uh yes. thing remember when when he was on and mm -hmm. um you know he was talking about this urban legend and i think you know a lot of this stuff you know was pre-internet and i think it was easier to make up stories and oh, yeah. you know people just you know you see like some huge area that's been abandoned and mm -hmm. the truth is way less interesting than what people make up you know it's sort of like fan fiction almost you see like an yeah. abandoned site and people just start making up stories about it. I mean, I think it's part of the, the, the thing that this whole show is kind of about and what most hauntings and stuff, it's storytelling. People have always told stories to each other, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, you know, talking about how the origins of anything and your way to explain something, you know. Yeah, we actually have a term for that. Uh, I'm looking it up to make sure that- And why I can't people right. just say, I don't know? Like so you this say is, well this is this is what the phenomenon is called and in um we basically and when i say we is sociological anthropological ethnomusicology groups we call this fake lore have you ever heard of this term no but i like it yeah Makes sense. so <laughs> i wanted to make sure that i got this uh, definition correct so i i yet and again i am reading from a website this is just straight up wikipedia let's see how much i just slide all over it so fake lore or pseudo folklore is an inauthentic manufactured folklore presented as if it were genuinely traditional the term can refer to new stories or songs made up or to folklore that is reworked and modified for modern tastes so basically and then richard m dorson our wonderful folklorist from the U Indiana University, my alma mater, is the one that helped create this term. Oh, cool. Um, in 1950. That's when in, yeah. So, yeah, that's what this is. It's, it, just think of it, this is how I think of it, is when you're a little kid and you turn to your parent or guardian or older sibling and say, hey, what's that? As you're driving down the street and they say, just pulling it out of their 
ass they just go oh that was a crematorium and they try to tell you some super spooky story that is what fake lore is and that's probably how we got like a lot of the stories that we get today they're done out of jest they're done out of entertainment and then they just get because then then to think like little cat going back to elementary school or middle school and then sharing the story like hey this is what my uncle said over the weekend about that weird place well, down yeah. the street and you have so, no reason not to believe it you yeah because you trust the adults in your life exactly uh, so i think that's where a lot of this just stems from mm-hmm. uh, and also never underestimate the amount of alcohol and pot consumed during visiting a lot of especially these locations. if you're a teenager hanging out in the woods <laughs> yeah. well i suppose like when you look at the 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 amount of conspiracy theories these days that are based on all sort of a mashup of everything anyone's ever thought i mean you could see how these things happen you know people yeah. building on them you know like you where you were just talking about uh the thing that jen just read how it combined three different tropes you see everywhere you know it it seems like there i think i think that explains a lot of uh uh like i said the weird conspiracy stuff that people believe in too you could probably tie that to many tropes too oh Um, yeah yeah you you start dissecting uh stories um actually with all the stuff that we've been having with political I remember turning to one of my friends in the paranormal and going, I, I, I miss our alien conspiracies. Those were fun. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like we, we consider those fun conspiracies because they're entertaining to discuss and to believe in. Some people mm-hmm. just like debating it just because it's fun to debate it. Um, mm-hmm. Not because mm-hmm. they wholly believe in it. So right. uh, with, and it's the same with ghosts and urban legends like they're really fun to talk about i like learning the history do i believe every ghost story here no do i expect you to trust everything that i tell you as a ghost story also no so um <laughs> it, it reminds just... me that we need to do a ufo episode we do i don't want to talk about aliens aliens scare me <laughs> do you ever see I... the movie the fourth kind that no. came out like which is the one know, with the six... owl was that the one with the owl yeah yeah i don't know oh that's the guy mm. the alaskan no, no, no. yeah i'm never I going to alaska because of that movie them, <laughs> like the flatwoods monster would be a good one i know tim fuller really loves talking about flatwoods monster and then we have the kelly hopkins incident i know a lot about the alien stuff though it's not mm. it's not what gets no, that the movie... motor going that movie that scared, the crap scared the crap out of me and i blame unsolved mysteries watching it in the late 80s early 90s and their stupid little unexplained ufo freaking hand drawing of the big alien head with the oh then you're gonna love the... this next tale oh my god scared me so bad Great right and this is it just leads it's my childhood fear of the unknown or whatever but when i saw the movie I was in my t- 30s, had to be, 20s or 30s, went home, slept with all the lights on, did not, <laughs> did not like that movie, and I will never watch it again. <laughs> well, speaking about large-headed entities that you could run into in Ohio, um, <laughs> let me 
tell you about the melon heads of Kirkland. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be traveling, for our listeners that aren't here in Ohio, we're traveling several, several, several hours north to the suburbs of Cleveland, which is where I'm from. And, uh, or not where I'm from, but where my family's from. So I've been there a lot. And I thought I would share with you all my favorite urban legend. And Jen, you're going to love it. Uh-huh. Okay. So I do want to start by prefacing that there are many melon head stories. The most prevalent ones are in Michigan and Connecticut, in addition to Ohio. Every single one of them has a different variation with different origins of the term melon head. We are specifically talking about the Ohio variety tonight. And also, Kirkland is just south of the famously haunted Willoughby, Ohio, which is right along the Lake Erie shoreline. So with that being said, legend has it there was once a mad doctor known as Dr. Crow. Dr. Crow worked by performing experiments for the United States government after World War II on orphans at his orphanage located just outside of Cleveland, really just Mm. south of it. Okay, The children were sent there by the government, developed large hairless heads and malformed bodies to do these experiments. Some legends add that these children were suffering from hydrocephalus and that Dr. Crow injected more fluid into their heads uh, for either being a treatment or he was just did it out of malicious curiosity. It is also said that he subjected them to radiation to see what would happen. Each mutant child was described to be between three and four feet tall with a large head, glowing eyes, and a delightful set of razor-sharp teeth. There was one theory that the melon heads are actually human-alien hybrids and the descendants of the Area 51 aliens. There you go, Jen. We have the melonheads out for you in Ohio. Eventually, the children killed Dr. Crow and his wife and ate them in the orphanage. And then they burnt down the orphanage by kicking down all the chemicals and the radiation and setting it on fire, and then fleeing into the dense woods around Kirkland, Ohio. They supposedly feed on babies who are apparently roaming freely around the forests or hapless people hiking the area at night. Legend holds that melon heads can be sighted along Wisner Road in Kirkland, where Dr. Crow once lived, also Mitchell's Mill Road, and around the Holden Arboretum in Chardon Township. The area is densely forested with winding roads and also a popular place for hiking and horseback riding. It isn't uncommon for hikers, fishermen, outdoorsmen, and horseback riders to find slaughtered animals in the woods around Kirkland or have stories about them being attacked themselves. A hot spot is along the Chagrin River, which is a place that I spent many, many, many summers playing around in. And I have been to the Holden Arboretum and can testify it is really thickly dense forest around there. This is also the focus of a 2010 horror movie called The Legend of the Melonheads, which is based on the Ohio version of this legend. Allegedly, the legend dates back to the 1950s, where driving down Windsor Road, or Weisner Road, 
has become an East Side High School rite of passage, according to Bonnie Snyder of the Lake County Geological Genealogical Society for Cleveland Magazine. We had rolled down the wind. Huh, wow. We'd roll down the windows and see if we could hear them. If you got out of your car, you were pretty brave. Snyder also had taken an interest into exploring the legend and investigating if Dr. Crow ever existed in the first place. According to her research, looking through census records, newspaper clippings, the Morley Library Obituary Index, which I didn't know existed, name indexes, city indexes, subject collections, and cemetery books for from the earlier part of the 20th century, and has found no evidence of Dr. Crow or his wife ever existing. However, she adds that there was always the percent chance that he slipped between the census or the city directories. And that is the story of the Kirkland Melonheads. How, how similar is this to like the Montauk stories? Um, well, you got a lot of different escaped uh like inmate stories or escape to monster stories. The Bunny Man of Bunny Man Bridge is another example of uh, is, that one's a lunatic that escapes and murders people and hangs bunnies from a bridge. So I think it's a pretty popular motif. I find it interesting that this one is slightly before the 1970s where um, a lot of our religions got their start. And it really just seems to be like an old high school prank. Mm-hmm. and where does the baby eating come from because that's something that's like been in that that's actually in the satanic panic stuff too going back like to the middle ages it seems like is this is this like when you're trying to think of what's the worst thing someone could do and it's like eating babies or yeah it's like a, mm-hmm. it, it's a writing motif like you're writing you're trying to create tension and even though my delivery was not great of what i wrote um it, it was you want to bring attention to your horror story and one of the ways to make your monsters seem even more horrific is that they're eating the most innocent of humankind which are babies mm-hmm. And, and then uh, add bathing to in their blood to that yeah bathing it's in even blood. worse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. um that i think that's where that comes from um mm-hmm. it i i like how it's spec- it specifies babies wandering around the forest being yeah that's getting picked off like that's like the Hansel and, and Gretel like, motif and I'm just thinking about my son walking around I'm like no I, mm, I don't think that's gonna be well, happening unless but, you're a bad parent you don't want your kid you just throw them in the woods and they're wandering around true. and then they get eaten by these melon head things <laughs> yeah well, the, the experimentation definitely seems like that. I mean, there's that whole, I mean, that's kind of what the Montauk thing, which Stranger Things is based on the Montauk experiments yeah. that they were doing on kids and stuff. So it seems like like during the 50s was definitely that era where you had sort of Operation Paperclip, uh, yeah. you know, which, mm-hmm. which is where they brought over all those Nazi scientists, which actually that isn't a conspiracy. That actually did happen right um, well also the addition of using radiation was very much a 50s yeah of course because it was it was um you know all the nuclear experiment i mean there was experimentation going on now you know on children you know probably not but you know i mean well let's I, hope I, not i i mean you know there wasn't exactly I, I wouldn't say that 
a lot of the programs the Pentagon spent money on were necessarily noble um, mm-hmm. pursuits. I mean, they did. If you look at Julia things. Child, um, you know, it's um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Like she worked for the CIA. She's like on the CIA page. She and her husband worked for the CIA in World War II. And then his job, when she was learning to cook French food, his job was like to do sort of a dog and pony show on why the U.S. was better than communists. Like, and he did it through a lot of cultural stuff and art stuff and that sort of thing. And ironically, he got fired because he got um, sort of taken down by the whole McCarthy era. Um, Oh, no. You know, and was accused, even though he was like working for the U.S., you know, that was such a paranoid time that he was accused of, I mean, you know, and he thought he was getting a promotion and instead he got fired because they thought that he wasn't, you know, everybody, the, the Red Scare, they thought everybody was, I mean, it was a very strange time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they've never really detailed what Julia Child did. They, they, but they met, I want to say they were in the Pacific somewhere. Um, I'll have to look it up really quick, but that's where the, she and her husband met was, you know, during World War II working on. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. stuff. Um, you know, so I, I the, yeah, I've always thought it, this is a total different segue. I've always thought Julia Child's such an interesting person. You know, they did that movie, uh, mm-hmm. Julia and Julia. And I was mm-hmm. like, so really, you couldn't sell a story about Julia Child? You had to have, a, I mean, not that, not that the book Julia and Julia is bad, but Julia Child's life is so interesting that why on earth did you need to tire to someone young? No, no, no. I mean, because she <laughs> didn't worried. wasn't she? She's is she still alive or she no, was alive she when that movie came out? Um, wasn't she? She might have died right before it did. I know she didn't okay. think much of the blogger, but I mean, yes, that's think, what I was thinking of. Yeah, you have to think she was like in her late eighties, and she probably doesn't even know what a blog is. And somebody <laughs> asked her, you know, <laughs> I mean, what would you say? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. this person couldn't. T- put a candle to what julia child accomplished and did and you know you're kind of saying what do you think of this person cooking out of your book and you know i mean yeah i i think that that you know they kind of were hard on uh, julia child for being um not pleased by it but you know who knows what context they even told her about it you know (laughs) just because you have a fan yeah of your work uh-huh. does not mean you have to like them piggybacking off your name am i saying that right or is that well rude? i think that that might i mean you know it's it's hard to say because you know we don't know exactly how they explained what this woman was doing right um, yeah. you know if, if you're saying she got this huge book deal because she was cooking out of your book and stuff you know maybe uh, you know i but they might have who knows how it was presented to her but yeah yeah. what i'm saying is that like so much of her life was so interesting beyond cooking and being Mm -hmm. a pioneer with that 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 would make a really interesting story although they probably can't say a lot of her spy days yeah probably you know i want to i want to know about that but the idea that the cia had her picture on their website Right, indicates she was a little bit more than a secretary or something. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, Den, will you please read us the hometown haunt for this week? Yes, this is from uh, our friend Katie. Hi, hi, ladies. 
sorry. It's Christina and Jen's friend Katie, and I recently realized that I actually met Kat as well at the soup party that Christina and I hosted at my house right before COVID hit. It was a very fun party. Sorry, Jen. (laughs) And I was not there because I think I was working at Amazon, and that's why I wasn't there. Okay. Okay. Anyway. I was thinking about this recently because the actual story I have connected to it happened on Easter. When I was in college, Kent State, there were plenty of campus legends around, but the one I recall specifically was the one about the haunted dorm. Stouffer Hall, which was closed my entire four and a half years there and eventually demolished. It was the standard tale of a student who hanged themselves in their room and then haunted the building in death. You could apparently see their spirits still in there hanging from the noose. Over Easter weekend, my freshman year, there was a very small group of my friends on campus still, and we decided that at midnight on Saturday, or midnight on Saturday night, was the perfect time to trapeze across campus to the Taco Bell. We were all feeling pretty goofy that night, and we took a meandering path that went by Stouffer Hall. Someone had the idea that we should see if we could go on. And lo and behold, the first set of doors we checked was open. As the chicken slash most practical member of the group, I have a firm policy for my life about not doing things that would start off a horror movie. So I I stood guard at the door, making sure it was propped open. It would not slam shut to trap us in there and murder us all. Other members of the group didn't go much further, farther in, but came back after a quick look saying that it was weird in there, but nothing more. Nothing big, but a fun and memorable night of feeling vaguely spooked. I think we have, I think we may have tried to go in again later, but we never found the building unlocked again. I enjoyed the show, even if I sometimes have to pause, pause it when it gets too dark out for me to listen to scary stuff and i hope to see you again after the pandemic katie oh that's a good story thank you katie but i would also feel really weird if i had taco bell then trapezed myself through the campus <laughs> it no, was traipsed. it was before she wrote was drapes it, but you I read it as it trapezed. <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't want to stop you but i was just like she i, I like for well, a joke. I'm stupid <laughs> You're not stupid. It's, it's I, you and I tonight have been slip sliding all over all the copy that we've had to read. Mm-hmm. It's just- well, and in my defense, I have been a hermit for the past I don't know however many months, and it's been have like not thirteen months much with people. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, Katie. Really sweet, I messed up that word. That's a really sweet uh, story. I like it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's it, it, it seems like on campuses, there's always those stories of, mm-hmm. although I have to say, like my freshman year, I was at UC and I was in Daniels Hall and why this hall has not been torn down, I don't understand. Students don't live in it. There, it like had windows you could fall out of and somebody got really drunk and actually fell out my freshman year and died. Oh, um, no. You know, and, and, and it was, it's because, you know, you have college students, alcohol, doing stupid stuff in a high-rise building with no with windows you could open from high places. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect more dorms now probably have screens or something to sort of 
keep students more i mean obviously their judgment's always going to be bad yeah or Um, they open at the top and not the opening's not big enough for them to go through maybe and i have to say i remember fondly going to zantigo late at night you know the college was the time when you could go to zantigo at midnight or three in the morning and not get heartburn you know i miss those (laughs) days oh i miss (laughs) oh i missed the garbage plate in rochester i went to rit um for a couple years rochester institute of technology Mm -hmm. and my dorm i was on the eighth floor it had um a balcony that you could go out on i mean it wasn't huge but our railing was always a little little wonky so we were careful careful not to to lean on it but i think eventually they renovated everything and took those balconies away because i think people did i vaguely remember rumors of people jumping off of them whether or not they were true or not i i'm not sure but yeah yeah. i think this story was actually not an intentional thing i think the person just fell like they were really drunk and i mean you know that's i mean that's not that unusual with college you have people away from home and doing things that mm-hmm. are you know with their freedom that you know yeah. is you're slightly yeah. on the dangerous side but you know we yeah, had it's interesting about stouffer hall though it reminds me at ohio university's campus they had like a haunted room that you could see the devil's mm-hmm. face in and yeah. that's what this reminds me of sorry yeah. jen i interrupted you no i was just gonna say we had someone they were probably drunk i'm not sure but the fire alarm one night went off at like two o'clock in the morning and we all had to go downstairs in our pajamas and everything and uh come to find out someone had put a loom a sandwich or something in aluminum foil in the mark microwave in the mm-hmm. common area and it set the microwave on fire oh Whoa. fun yeah. i mean people used to set the alarms off all the time yeah. uh, when i was in college just they set them off for fun yeah, they, yeah the, the, always the first two weeks of school no one got any sleep because somebody mm-hmm. was always pulling the fire alarm and they yeah. used to always joke about how like uh i forget which which hall it was which was a girl's dorm they always said more guys came out than girls <laughs> <laughs> the fire alarm went off which, I, which I had funny. co-ed dorms mm-hmm. I, I was, was in a never, co-ed dorm too i was a, never one of those all girls only <laughs> well you know yeah, it's, i it, never it, was either it's interesting because, you know, uh, when my mom was in college, for example, I mean, you wouldn't have been allowed to bring visitors into your. Oh, no. Mm-mm. You know, that's a yeah. more recent thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm yeah, sure. Come to, I was going to say, come to think of it, I was surrounded by boys. All the rooms around me were boys. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I think it would be really interesting to have. Um, you know an episode about university hauntings because i'm sure that there's you know tales at xavier and uc and all the local universities it would be interesting to see i had started writing a book on that so oh yeah so it's my first book was about iu have you heard anything about kent state other than that like because of the shooting and everything that happened there I haven't heard of any ghosts attributed explicitly to the shooting, but it definitely had some ghosts there. My mm-hmm. mom's went to Kent State for a few years and she had some stories to share with me and she went in the 60s. So the okay. place was haunted back then. Um, so yeah, we can totally collect a, a series of 
stories from around Ohio, because we have Ohio University that is famous for its pentagrams, and then um, <laughs> University of Cincinnati. I know, right? It's and- going to be the new U.S. News and World Report uh, rating. You know, it's haunting rating. Mm-hmm. They have a have a new program at at Ohio State. It's all about learning how to do demonic rituals and sac- hmm. sacrifice young babies and have them for lunch. Yes, and we we cannot forget about the Ohio State University. Never forget to say the before it. And what did I say? I always get them confused. No, Ohio. you didn't. No, okay. you, Ohio University is a different Ohio one. You were correct. Yeah, okay. that's an. Athens- I remember. Yeah, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Ohio University's colors are, I think, uh, green and white, or green and yellow, yes. and yeah. like that, the then. Ohio State is crimson and cream. Which I'm, I'm going to say is also Indiana University. So I get confused <laughs> a lot. I also get Ohio State confused a lot for o- University of Oklahoma. Mm. <laughs> because one's OSU and there's Oklahoma State University, but their colors are orange and black. But then yeah. there's also University of Oklahoma, who is also crimson and cream, but also an O and a U or a U and an O. And, um, my dyslexic butt always gets them confused. So I have to sit there and look at them. Well, you know, um, Ohio State is like its own city. So I'm it sure really there's is. many, many city, many, many uh, ghost stories, you know, such a, such a giant mm-hmm. institution. Oh, yeah. They have Mirror Lake. They have the Pink Lady. They, they have a few. So, yeah, I mean, so and if that's you a have good a haunting, question for John. For- yeah. And if you have a haunting story from your college, you know, uh, yeah. whether it's at the school or like maybe one of the weird apartments that are next to uh, your your school that you went to you know definitely mm-hmm. write us in what's the email address hometown haunted mail at gmail.com yeah tell us about your uh, college haunting story was it like in the middle of the night you saw glowing eyes or you know I mean because that's it seems like when you're in college is the time you're walking around at four in the morning outside Mm -hmm. that happens less when you're my age you know but maybe unless you're a paranormal investigator and then you're still out we (laughs) we hope that we hope that maybe one day we are investigating at that time of night but you know it's not something i've been doing recently for sure yeah yeah um okay so shall we tie this up into a neat little bow i think so this is an interesting show i think we've got a lot of interesting stuff yeah okay so thank you for joining us for another wonderful episode of the cincinnati cabin of curiosities presents hometown haunts i'm your host cac loco along with me christina wald and jen kohler if you have your own ghost story paranormal experience creepy creepy cryptid or urban legend or any other fun weird history fact you can email that over to us at haunted home oh god hometown haunted mail at gmail.com <laughs> this is Cat signing off. Have a great week.